Hello, this is episode four of season four. Now, in this episode, I'll be talking with Aaron Wales of Aaron Wales Building Design. We're diving into the role that a building designer can play in your renovation or building project and how to get the best from working with them. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Our Get It Right podcast partner for season four is Colourbond Steel and their matte range. So Colourbond Steel matte is a great choice for creating a stunning, sophisticated and subtle look for your home in a material that is tested to withstand Australia's harsh conditions and be durable, long-lasting and strong for your home. As you may know, Colourbond Steel has been around for over 50 years now, so quintessentially Australian, it's been used in all kinds of projects in locations all across Australia with its tried and tested performance and its enduring style. The Colourbond Steel matte range takes this to the next level. With five colours to choose from, the matte range was tested for 10 years before it was brought to market. Sophisticated and understated, it has this gorgeous luxe feel in a material that's seriously strong and durable. There are so many ways that you can use it in the walls and roof of your home, whether you're renovating or building, to create the design style that you're seeking. With a beautiful and neutral look, it has an elegance that I know that you'll love, and it diffuses light for a soft, natural, textured finish. And not only does Colourbond Steel Matte look gorgeous, being steel, it's also 100% recyclable, it's high-tech, it's tested and designed for the Australian climate, it's a choice for bushfire zones, it's able to give your home a contemporary and sophisticated feel, and it has 50 years of history behind it as a brand. It's just amazing. So head to www.colorbond.com forward slash undercover architect, and that's C-O-L-O-R-B-O-N-D.com forward slash undercover architect. There you can learn more about this great matte range. You can request samples, which I really encourage you to do, and you can get inspired for how you could use it in your reno or new home. And stay tuned across the season as I'll be sharing more ideas and info to help you see how it could work for your project. Now let's get on with the episode. Now, as I said, in this episode, we're diving into the role of building designer. So Aaron Wales is a Brisbane-based licensed building designer with over 15 years industry experience. And Aaron, like Sean Lockyer, is also a friend and colleague that I have known for many, many years. So Aaron and I first met at Mervac probably over a decade ago now, uh, when five colleagues and I then set up our own architectural practice DC8 studio, Aaron was our very first crew member. And Aaron and I have continued to partner with each other to deliver projects in our respective businesses. So Aaron is the owner of Aaron Wales Building Design. And if you've checked out the project diary on the Undercover Architect blog, where we're following the renovation of a Queenslander cottage, you'll see that Aaron was responsible for the documentation and the on-site management of the project. So Aaron set up Aaron Wales Building Design in 2009 and his wife uh, and he had been living and working overseas in the United Kingdom for some time and then they returned to Brisbane to set up a WBD. Aaron's incredibly passionate about good design and he's worked across many different project types uh, from retirement living, housing developments, apartments, office buildings, both here in Australia and in Europe and in the Middle East. And one of the things that I love about how Aaron works is the way that his practical construction knowledge gets brought together with his design skills. So when you work with a designer, you actually want them to mentally be building your home whilst they're designing it. So what I mean by this is that whilst they're drawing lines at a design concept level, so even at a point of scribbling on yellow trace, they're also thinking about what that line means in terms of constructability, of structural design, of materiality, of how the space feels and functions and you know how all of these things come together to meet your brief and your budget. And Aaron works in this way with his clients to help them deliver great results. 
Aaron's also a gun at Revit. And so Revit is a 3D computer documentation tool, uh, so a CAD tool. And Aaron will basically build the project inside the computer as he builds the house drawings in 3D. And he'll do this obviously before it gets built on site. So this is a really great way for you to uncover and anticipate any issues at the drawing stage because this model is getting built inside a computer and the walls and the, and the components are all being put together in a three-dimensional virtual sense to test really that the built project isn't going to have any big dramas on site. Now, whenever a designer works with you in 3D, you know, this can also help you see the, the design solution and the, 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 I suppose, the finished renovation or building outcome before it's being built. And so you can then have that design vision communicated to you, perhaps in a way that might make more sense than floor plans alone. It's great to sit down with Aaron and to talk about the role of the building designer and his tips on how to find one, how they'll help and the way to get the best in working with one. This is about the who the what, the when, and the why of using a building designer for your renovation or building project. So let's get into the episode. So welcome, Aaron, to the Get It Right podcast. It's really awesome to have you here. <laughs> Aaron's giggling at me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. As I explained in the intro, Aaron and I have known each other for a long time as well. And it's actually really great to be sitting across you, you know, being able to interview you and ask you these questions. So I think he's going to have to try and get through this without laughing his head off at me because he's... <laughs> So I did give some background about who you are, your experience and your business, but perhaps you can explain to me in your words, you know, who is Aaron Wales and what is Aaron Wales building design? Well, in my words, uh, Aaron Wales is a young person who's looking to enjoy working in the building design industry, got a family, enjoy life, love the outdoors, uh, really enjoy being passionate about what I'm into at that point in time. That's probably reflected in our business, Aaron Wales building design. What we do is really do our best to service the building design sector of residential housing. Fantastic. I love it. That's a great response. Now, Aaron, can you tell me what does a building designer actually do? You know, what should you expect from working with a building designer? Amelia, that's a very good question. What, <laughs> <laughs> what does a building designer actually do? Um, that is probably best answered by what they're engaged to do by the client. For example, a building designer can form a range of services from project management of a residential property through to multi-rise design and construction documentation under Queensland licensing and law. So a building designer is someone who can produce design drawings. A building designer can also do drafting roles, project management. Essentially, they are a professional in the construction industry that was first set up to help or service the residential sector of building and construction. Yeah, because I think when you and I first met, it was inside obviously a big organisation like Mervac where we had architects often doing the design work and then building designers managing the documentation and those types of things. So it's a really interesting distinction. And, you know, Sean in the last interview spoke about what his thoughts were around the difference between an architect, a building designer and a draftsperson. What are your thoughts and how do you respond to people's questions about, you know, what is the difference? Yeah, once again, that's, that's a question that can be answered many ways. A building designer, if we start there, a building designer's role is under the Code of Building Designers Association is to provide high quality professional services to their client, whatever those services may be. And is the Building Designers Association sort of your governing body? Is How do they work? Yeah, you could say that. They're the governing body or the association that manages that form of the profession. But to answer your question of what's the difference between a building designer, a draftsperson, an architect... I'd probably precursor this whole comment by the fact that I have a very healthy respect for architects, uh, good architects. Um, <laughs> it's and, all good. It's all good. We've explained lots of times, yeah. <laughs> and so how do we best say it? A draftsperson is best described as someone who draws. They will document what you tell them to draw. And there are some excellent examples of that in our industry, and they're very talented people. A building designer, we would best describe as someone who will come in and introduce design and planning, space planning. They'll control the building form. They'll look at elements that complement a lifestyle, but then they'll also document that lifestyle. Traditionally, my understanding of architects 
was that an excellent architect, if we go back through in history, they would design, engineer, document the entire process. We think of Frank Lloyd Wright, for example, designing the cutlery in his hotels, his buildings. He would design everything. Sadly, that aspect of the profession has probably been slowly lost. We've seen other disciplines come in, whether it be interior decorating, interior designing, building design, and they have taken away chunks of what was traditionally an architect's role. So what we see today is architects often focusing on high-level housing or upmarket housing or multi-rise developments. In recent years, the Queensland government has allowed, and other state governments also have allowed for building designers to be licensed in that fashion. For example, my license is an open building designer's license. So we can take on a three-storey, five-storey residential unit complex. A traditional drafts person can't do that. They're not licensed to do it. They don't have the experience, nor do they have the insurance. So the line between building designer and architect in general is getting closer and closer together as the industry evolves. In recent years, building designers have essentially created a better name for themselves as a brand. Sadly, however, a majority of that brand is still recognised as purely a drafting role, but that's not anyone else's fault other than building designers. Yeah, It's as simple as that. On the other hand, sadly, I would suggest that architects have let go of the day-to-day residential role and focus purely on upmarket housing yeah. or upmarket developments. And so sadly, we, we haven't seen that top-end design brought into mass subdivisions. We, only, we don't have to travel far and we can see the houses we all don't like. Yeah, I think it's, it's tricky, isn't it? Because, you know, there is that stat that I think it appeared in the the Sydney Morning Herald, of, you know, a few weeks ago, where it said that eight percent of new homes in Australia are actually designed by architects, and mm. there is that, I suppose, preconception that architects only do high-end homes and they only do, you know, big complex buildings. And I, you know, but I know also that there are loads of sole practitioners out there who are doing the alterations and additions and the, you know, of suburban homes right across the country as registered architects. And, you know, Sean said, and I've said this whole thing about the fact that there are incredible building designers. You know, I think your the work that you do is fantastic. I know other building designers that I worked with at Mervac who have very good design heads on them. And equally, there are architects who just, design is not their strength. They're much better at project management, contract administration, that side of the project. So I think it, you know, if you're trying to make a choice for yourself as a homeowner, you know, I think, I hope that what's coming through in the conversations that we're having is that you've really got to understand what does the individual you're speaking to actually offer? What is their strength? What is their skill set? What is their demonstrated experience? What's their track record? You know, how are they building relationships with their clients, with the consultants that they work with, with the builders that they work with? Because it's not cut and dry, is it? It's not, you know, it's not, you can't say, well, an architect will always be this person doing this thing and a building designer will always do be this person doing this thing. You know? 100%. And sadly, we've met many a client who has said they've had a very bad experience with a building designer. You and I both know that we've actually, what's the best way to describe it, reworked entire projects due to the lack of development and design knowledge from building designers. Sadly, we've also done the same thing from architects. Mm. The professional as an individual is who you're looking at. Sadly, I, I really want to encourage the, the, if you could use the word romance of architecture, it's got an important role in society. It's overlooked. Do we need architects to be good at their game? 100%. It makes a difference. Design makes a difference. Building designers have come on in recent years, and we would say the minority of building designers are doing really good work. Whereas you would say the majority of architects do excellent work. Yeah. yeah. And what yeah. we see is there's the minority of architects who give all of architects sometimes a very bad name. Yeah. And that's that's something I've observed. Um, when we think of some of the well-known architects that we know, like, for example, Sean, their, their work speaks for themselves. Yeah. It, it's there. We can see it. We observe it. It looks great. It feels great. Well, that's architecture. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we do see some examples of that yeah. in building design also. And I think, too, it's really important to remember, you know, 
so much emphasis gets put on the design of these public places, you know, and so much rigour around who actually gets to be involved gets put around these public places, the spaces that we work, that we walk through every day. Yet our own homes, there's not that rigour placed on the industry of who gets to do, who gets to be involved to the point where there's nothing actually preventing you legally from designing your own home and then just getting a draft person to draw it up the way that it needs to be done. So it's kind of the onus is on the homeowner to put that rigour and discipline and intention around the design experience because it's where they get to live every day and it's what actually launches them out into the world. So 100% couldn't agree more. We, we've heard this saying a lot that you don't know what you don't know. We often hear that branded around the industry. However, that doesn't negate responsibility. So as a homeowner, we would always encourage all our clients, do your research. This is what we offer. This is how we do it. We, we're very upfront with all of that. That allows the client to be educated. But at the end of the day, the client needs to take that time. Um, and we've used an example together before. If you were going to get surgery done, you wouldn't use your local GP. You would go to a specialist. You wouldn't consider using your friend down the road. You wouldn't consider operating on yourself. Well, it's the, it's the same point when it comes to designing your home. It represents people's, generally their biggest ever monetary investment. And it's so sad to see people sometimes put that in the hands of Uncle Bob mm. or someone who is not qualified to even begin the design process. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose then that leads on to sort of, you know, asking you, where, where do you recommend people look for building designers and how can they be sure that, you know, they, they tick all the boxes in terms of their licensing and whether, you know, what the, what things they should be looking for in terms of understanding if they're going to be a good fit? Yeah, a, a good place to start looking is the Building Designers Association of Queensland. Mm -hmm. They have a list of registered building designers. It'll also hold their license type. For example, do they have a limited license or an open license like mine? That will enable a homeowner to do a bit of research before they've even phoned or contacted that building designer. Sadly, we've seen in the past people use the word architect when they're not. Yeah, yeah. We see it today in society. They're this architect, they're that architect. Yeah, well, or it's architecturally designed. Exactly. And yeah, the simple yeah. point is they're not architects. Sadly, we see well, what I see a lot of is people who are very much only a drafts person and they're qualified as such. They are even calling themselves a building designer. So it's branded around the industry as as trying to be something you're not. Does that so that licensing obviously then is what enables you to fit within that sort of governed role of a building designer? Is there does that exist in other states or has Queensland got particular kind of rules around it in that regard? Do you know? Yeah, it does. It does exist in other states, and it is different in other states in how the licensing is arranged. In previous discussions, the the best way we could use an illustration for that, if we're driving in Queensland, we know the road rules here. If we were to go down to, say, Sydney, Melbourne or Perth, it would be our responsibility as a motorist to know what the road rules are in that state. Mm -hmm. Well, it's no different with building designers licensing and also owner builders licensing and trades, etc., etc. Each state has slightly separate laws. And each person in those states would need to educate themselves on those. All right. So in terms of then we've talked about licensing and registration and I'll, I'll also pop some links in the show notes about the different bodies in the different states to so that you've got those to refer to as a starting point. I know too that when you're looking for a designer, a building designer or an architect, a good, you know, house, H-O-U-Z-Z is a good place to start because they've got a, a great library of professionals there and that you can see their folios, you can see where they're located and the kinds of work that they do. And I think it's the same as, you know, Sean spoke about when you're, when you're looking it's, it's doing all the checks with all of their, you know, previous clients, checking that they, they actually do what they say they do and the scope of work that they provide, isn't it? So in terms of that and scope of work and fees and those types of things, can you talk to me a bit about how building designers actually structure their fees? Because it's a bit different to how architects do. You know, what, what should you look for in a building designer's fees? How should you interrogate it? And, you know, how... how I suppose how much they actually end up costing really because that can be really widely varied as well. 
Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. That's a, <laughs> wow. Just <laughs> what a question. Okay. Um, well, if we think back to the commercial days when we worked together on multi-rise and et cetera, et cetera, and we were competing against other architectural firms, at times we would see a fee come in that was so low that we'd all look around the table and go, "How do they do it mm. for that price?" Yeah. And essentially, the most just frustrating, less, really? yeah, 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 most frustrating yeah. aspects of architecture or architects and designers, let's say that is often they'll undercut each other on the most important aspect of the job, and that is the design. And therefore, it becomes very hard to work out a formula on how to best price a project. Yes. Okay. And how to compare apples with apples, Correct. really, isn't how it? how to yeah. compare apples. If a designer is going to say, I will do the design for love, he'll take all that time out of his fee and generally only charge for the production time. Yeah. Um, so how do we work out fees? What value? How does a client know value? The way we work out our fees is based, one, on how much the client is going to spend, two, the complexity of the project, but three, how much work they want us to do. For example, do they want a full service, a limited service, et cetera? Um, that dictates our fees. Yeah. So what do you, when you say full service, limited service, what do you sort of mean by those those so terms. a limited service would be a set of building approval drawings, the legislative drawings that are required to design and document a home for building approval in Only. association. Not necessarily for construction, 100%. but just for building approval. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Sadly, what can happen is we're still allowed in Queensland to only do building approval drawings as professionals. And the responsibility of the construction methodology or sequencing is entirely placed on the builder. However, for a more vigorous approach and to get more out of the design, to get a more competitive tender, often we'll have clients say, no, I want the full service. I want it documented. I want detail. I want schedules of materials, etc. a specification written. Well, that full service fee is going to vary drastically to a limited service fee. Some architects, for example, will only do a full service fee. Yeah, which is what Sean spoke about in his interview. So I think too that, you know, that understanding of the fact that your building approval drawings aren't necessarily the best drawings to build your project from. You know, I tell I talk a lot about the fact that whatever isn't drawn has to be assumed. Exactly. And chances are that if it's being assumed by the builder on site, it may or may not be how you want it to be. And it, it may cost more to be how you want it to be or to change it, you know, or you might just have to live with it. So I think that when we think about building approval drawings, you really only need site plan, floor plans, elevations, roof plan, maybe a section, Correct, some section. structural design drawings um, that the yep. structural engineer will do. And that's, you know, it can be like a package of eight drawings or something like exactly. that, can't it? Yeah. Whereas a construction package will then have details of particular sections of the building, how they get put together, those material finishes, the schedules of materials. Yeah. Yeah, so. We're really trying to lock down the best experience and result for the client. Yeah. So and the, remove the risk of that exactly. price blowout because you're getting more certainty around the quote, are yeah. yeah. So you, you, you take away the uncertainty. We had a builder comment on our drawings, um, our preliminary drawings not so long back. He was amazed at the amount of detail we had prior to going to town planning. Well, we take the risk out of pricing a project at the end by bringing that forward. Yes. That gives the client confidence that before they lodge, they're on budget. Yeah. Um, you can only do that by showing and representing more information about the design intent. If we don't document the design intent, the builder will. Yes, yeah. And that or they'll will, assume it from jobs that they've it. done it. Exactly, yeah, before, and yeah. that changes the result. So how do we price a project? It's generally best summed up on the amount of money being spent on the project, the level of finish, and the level of service we are offering. Sadly, like everyone, we lose projects because we're too expensive in the eye of the homeowner. Yeah. On the other hand, other clients review our fees and they're very thankful for the value for money they get. When I've compared what we do as a level of documentation, say to other professionals who have done a more, let's say, cost-effective in their, their mind, we'll often have 50 A3 drawings of documentation for a, a small home as opposed to their seven or 10. And the client has not saved money. And that's sadly what the homeowners don't realize is that if it's not documented, they will pay for it through variations, through unknowns, through hidden costs. So we really encourage everyone, no matter who, if you're using an architect, if you're using a building designer or 
Drafting. you're using a drafts person, yeah. make sure it covers your design intent accurately. So by design intent, you're actually talking about the that the drawings really inform whoever is going to be building your project exactly how you want it to look, operate, function at a material and detail level. So, 100%, yeah. 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 There should be no question when you go to contract, why is there provisional sums? There's provisional sums because we don't know the answers yet. So provisional sums are the items that come into your building quote where the builder has basically made an estimate for the amount of money they think that bundle of work is going to cost. So for exactly. example, the electrical work or the 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 lighting or the Correct. you know that mechanical type of thing. ventilation. Yeah. They assign fourteen thousand dollars to air conditioning, for example. Yeah. However, the client's request for quality sees the air conditioning bill come in at twenty thousand dollars. The only reason that has happened is because it's not documented. Yeah. Um, therefore, so, yeah. there's a $6,000 variation for the client. Yeah. And so it's it's really, isn't it, that, that whole design and documentation process is the opportunity for a homeowner to bed in all of the detail to make sure that all of the prices are actually in alignment with the standard, the quality, the finish, the detail that they are anticipating and want for their project. And it is that thing of, I see drafts people, I know that some building designers do it, they'll give a price per square metre as a fee breakdown. Like they'll say, we're going to price it, um, you know, X amount per <laughs> square metre. We're both laughing at each yeah, other. We both don't understand yeah, how I that d- works. I don't understand how that gets <laughs> yeah. structured. And there will, there will be drafts people, you can, I've seen them online yeah. where you can you can plug in the square metre of your house and they'll give you X amount of dollars per square metre to document it. I think from, you know, the conversation that Aaron and I are having and also the conversation with Sean, you can see how many variables go into what's actually included in that fee and what the outcome will be for you at the end. And as a homeowner, for you to interrogate what that fee includes and covers and what it doesn't cover and then understand how that impacts what role you'll have to play in the building process to fill all the gaps. Exactly. I think that's really important. So in terms of that first meeting, you know, you're getting your building designer around, um, you're meeting with them for the first time to see if they're going to be a good fit for you and your project. And, um, and I said in the last interview with Sean that often people jump straight into going, okay, so what would you do to this house? Or, um, you know, we're building here. What do you, what do you see? They actually forget that they need to interview the building designer as a, to see whether they're a good fit. What, how do you recommend people prepare for that meeting and what they should sort of seek to get from that meeting of, of that first initial um, experience with their, with their potential building designer? Uh, good question. We, as a business, we make contact with people generally via phone or via email initially. Then what we like to do is, one, understand where the property is. But what we do is we actually send out a design brief questionnaire. That's essentially a little guide that allows us to get to learn at a high level about what that particular client would like to achieve. What's the advantage of doing that? Well, we know before we rock up on site what we're trying to achieve at a high level. We've been able to do a brief desktop study to then understand the best way we can tailor our service. What do you do in that desktop study? For example, we'll do a town planning search. Mm-hmm. We'll understand. So what... you look on the council website. Correct. Yep. Yeah, we'll go on PD online. We'll have a look at that. We'll jump onto Street View on Google, obviously, see what the nature of the land is. Are we talking about a flat site? Is it on the side of a hill? And is... you do all of that before you've turned up for that meeting. 100%. Yeah, yep. we, we do that before we get there. We don't want to get to the meeting and be cold. Okay. But at the same time, we've got to resist the urge to say, well, I would do this. Yeah. We don't know the full brief yet. Yeah. What we're expecting clients to ask us is, what level of service could you provide me? Why is that the best fit for this site? Um, how will we communicate? Uh, what program will we follow? How quickly can you turn around our design and construction documentation? Will you be happy to work with my builder? Do you form collaborative relationships with other consultants? We want them to have an understanding that we know how to develop the property. So regardless of the design at this point, that we can service that particular property's needs. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so after that meeting then, you've gone away. What What's your next steps then in terms of what you send back to the client and or potential client and what they should expect after having a meeting with a building designer? They're not sure whether they want to use you yet. They want to understand what your feedback is, what your costs are. What should they receive after that meeting? Well, generally in that initial meeting, the question of cost will come up. It's As in, in your phase. Exactly. Yep. Inevitably, yep. it always does. Yeah. 
Um, so generally at that point, we'll give a client a rough indication of where we feel based on the design brief they've already supplied of what our services would be. You get a strong feeling at that point of whether or not you've gelling with that client. And more often than not, we're already got a good relationship. Yeah. So what we do then is we go back and we form a formal fee proposal that essentially outlines our full scope of service, our full deliverables, and the program in which we'll follow to deliver such. So what do you mean by your deliverables? So for example, if we're doing a full service, which is obviously what we'd like to do, mm -hmm. we will be outlining every drawing that we're going to produce to service the needs of that development. Mm -hmm. We'll also outline, for example, is it going to need a specification written? Okay. Is it going to need project management, et cetera, et cetera. We will confirm what those deliverables are so the client knows what they're getting for their investment. Why would a project need a specification? So for example, you might get a particular building that has a particular use. For example, a, set, a, a recording studio, mm -hmm. such as we're in now. If we don't specify exactly how that's to perform, the requirements of the finish, the insulation, how we're going to stop the vibration of noise from one room to another, we have to not only draw every detail, but we also have to describe how it should perform. And that's the beauty of a performance specification because it will then go into the contract. If the building doesn't perform or the builder wants to make a substitute in material, it still has to meet the performance specification. And do you find that you're doing those for houses as well? Sadly, we don't do a lot of them for houses, not enough. Mm -hmm. We should do more of those for houses, especially as families age in place. You know, we get a young family who designs a home it's also going to be the home when the kids are 18, 21 at, at university. That home needs to perform over an expected lifespan. The best way to control the documentation is also with a spec. Sadly, it seems to be forgotten a lot these days. Yeah. And so things like um, interior finishes and interior um, fixtures and those types of things, I know that you'll certainly work to include those in your documentation and that type of thing. So it can obviously end up being quite a big package of drawings, can't it? I think that's probably what surprises yes, a lot of 100%. homeowners. Yeah, yeah. So, and I explained in the intro that you know you and I um, work together on projects that we see through to completion. The project diary for the um, the Queenslander Cottage in Brisbane is a project that you and I have done together. So, you know, I think that it's really worth just understanding at a, at a at an important level that you can build a home from five or six drawings as much as you can from 50, 60, 70 drawings. One of those is going to give you far more control than the other, isn't yes, it? Yes, so, exactly. And control not only control over the outcome, but control over the costing, over the level of interaction with your consultants and, and those types of things, isn't Ex it? Yeah. Exactly. It gives you control. Once again, this is people's most often their biggest ever investment, especially with the cost of housing and the cost of residential construction. You would have heard it before, but it pays to get it right. <laughs> um, we, we often hear another saying regularly when we go and visit homes, if only I had known. Yeah. And that question or statement, I should say, is often said after they say, the client says, I'd like to do this. And we say, sadly, you can't due to A, B and C. At that point, they say, if only I had known. So sadly... We just don't see enough education from professionals advising clients of what the outcome will be if they don't invest the time, if they don't ask the questions. Yeah. And so much of your role as a designer is actually in that guidance, isn't exactly. it? It's yep. not just in providing the service, but it's actually chaperoning 100%. and guiding the homeowner yep. through that journey that they've by potentially are going through for the first time Yes, um, and perhaps even only time that they ever will and trying to draw on your experience from all of the projects that you've seen and done. Exactly. And that's where often you'll see architects, designers, like if we say where an architect adds immense value to a home is from my experience, if they've been involved in, a, say, a commercial firm, so there's commercial style construction, um, contracts, and then they bring those design smarts and industry experience to the residential sector, they are generally an excellent architect they provide the client with so much development advice that your traditional residential designer or residential architect may never have actually understood. Mm. And that's about controlling risk. It's about adding value 
and that is separate to actually sketching out a design solution. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't heard it explained like that before, but it is quite true because I know so much of what I do for homeowners in their family homes is informed by the work that we did at Mervac which was about creating homes that are durable, long-lasting, suit many different types of families, exactly. you know, yep. uh, great places to live that people want to buy over and over again, but are also end up also being an incredibly great experience for a family to live in and enjoy. So, yeah, and I, I hadn't, and I know that Sean's background is, he's got a lot of commercial experience as well in his background too. So, so Aaron, what have you seen go wrong when somebody's not, when they've chosen a building designer that's not a good fit or they've not done their homework in finding the right person for them? Amelia, the most common one we see go wrong is budget and an understanding of realistic construction. I would go as far as saying is that most architects generally have a broader understanding of architecture and construction costs and scope. That's not to say they don't get it wrong as well, <laughs> but, but what I would say is that most of the time when a client comes to us and they say, I've sacked my previous building designer because my budget blew out and we repeatedly said, this is our max budget. You and I have experienced it with other, with other architects yes, as well. Yeah. And um, that's the most common one. That's where it goes wrong. And it seems sad that what we don't see is an understanding of building designers working in a collaborative relationship with builders. There seems to be a tendency, and maybe it's because they're charging a lower fee. Yeah, and they're not doing that full service the whole way through to construction. They sort of do the package and and hand it off. Yeah, Yeah, so a tick and flick approach gets them, the client, a set of drawings, and then it's buy. Yeah. And sadly, I see that those drawings often go out and they don't even coordinate them with the structural engineer. Mm. And so it's who's taking responsibility. Generally, when that's happened and it's turned pear-shaped, we often get a phone call and sadly for that homeowner, we actually have to start from ground zero. We can't use that documentation. It's no good to us. Yeah. Um, and sometimes homeowners find that hard to understand, but we actually start right from word go. Um, so my most common one that I see go wrong is budget and then just a lack of practical construction knowledge. Sadly, I see drafts persons with the term building designer, mm-hmm. produce drawings that I swear our children could do better jobs of. Mm-hmm. They are so poorly drawn mm-hmm. that I'm amazed the builder can build them. Now, in saying that, if we go back 100 years or 50, 80 years, we'll see one A1 or AO sheet of drawing, yeah. one drawing with a very informative floor plan, four elevations, one section, a couple of engineering details, Walk into that house today, we would need 80 or 90 drawings to, to replicate the process. Yeah. Now, why is that? Well, sadly, the whole industry has dropped the ball when it comes to that knowledge or understanding. But I, that to me is the big one is budget and a lack of construction documentation on, on drawings. Yeah, and I think it's hard, isn't it? Because, you know, this is obviously why homeowners sit at, in, their, in their homes figuring out about their renovation or building project and just get terrified, you know, of all of the disasters out there. And I think that, you know, hopefully from us having our conversation and from the other interviews in this series, it's really a case of understanding that there are some excellently qualified professionals um, operating out in the industry doing extraordinarily good work for their clients at an affordable rate, you know. So, exactly, yeah. And you've just got to do your homework to find them. And that's 100%. the – I think, too, that across the board, it's, it seems to me to be happening in lots of industries that we're just learning to live with less, you know, less service, less being taken care of, less quality, all these kinds of yes. things as everybody tries to get things done faster and faster. And for my mind, you, you know, your home is so important. You've got to have a really good trusted team around you that share your vision, believe in your vision, have given you honest advice about whether your vision and your budget are in alignment with each other, are keeping you on track, they're guiding you, they're holding your hand and they're helping you bring that vision to life. So, and 100%. It, you know, yeah. Sean said it should feel exciting. It should be an optimistic exactly. experience, and it can be. And you've just prompted my memory. Another one we see is building designers especially will go in with a very low fee to service the project. They don't talk about budget. They get paid. The client says it's not on budget. They then come back to that designer 
they get another set of professional fees to bring to the, the project yeah. on budget. Yeah. So don't always look, if you're a homeowner and you're going, how do I start this process? The lowest fee does not represent the best value. Yeah, you've it's, really got to understand what it includes, exactly. don't you? And, and be able to understand not only the kind of, uh, I suppose, physical outcomes, but have that professional explain to you what does the process of us working together look like? Like, how will exactly, you give yeah. me advice? How will you guide me? You're well within your rights to ask those kinds of questions of professionals and good professionals will be very happy. In fact, they're probably most of the time have told you before you've had to ask the questions. So. And they're willing. They're yeah. willing to answer. The, they're not hiding from the question. Yeah. Um, I think one of your comments is it's always, it's okay to expect more from your designer or your architect. Okay. And that is, it's okay to expect more. It, it simply baffles me why people don't investigate that process more. I think that um, there's such mystery around mm. what it entails. They don't even know the questions to ask. So, exactly. you know, you're, you're at home. I think that, you know, you hopefully through the work that, you know, that, work you're, that you're doing as part of being part of the UA community, you're understanding that there's some you know, significant questions to ask about the design of your home and how your designer is going to help you bring those design ideas to light. I've had I've had homeowners tell me they've had to fight with their designer to mm. get the home oriented for Northern Sunlight. I've had homeowners tell me that their designer balked at the fact that they brought them a very detailed brief. They actually wanted to charge them more money to for the time it was taking them to read through the brief. You know, wow. all yeah. of these should be big red flags very early on for you and it's not industry-wide. Whilst we talk about the industry and we give generalisations about mm. it, um, it's not industry-wide. And there are some, as I said, some excellent people doing excellent work. And the bad news will always travel further and fastest than mm. the good news. All right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep, that's but, right. Uh, but I think that it's really a case of you understanding that it's important to do your homework, ask the questions, use it as a gauge for whether people are good to work with. So... All right. So in terms of actually you've chosen your building designer, you're, you've worked out, you know, that the scope of works that they're delivering, how they're going to work with you. What do you recommend in terms of creating a really good working relationship and how, how you as a homeowner should really help foster that and how the building designer should help foster that as well? There's some great software you can do that you can link into each other and um, share ideas. For example, you mentioned house earlier. Great great avenue to draw inspiration, set up an ideas book together, bounce ideas off each other. But we like to promote very open, free communication. We always make ourselves available on the phone. We'll always tell a client, if you need advice, give us a call. You know, we're here to represent your interests. What we like to do though, is have strategic client workshops at strategic parts through the design process. Now that means yellow trace, on the dining room table, sketching out ideas, communicating ideas, following those ideas up with formal drawings or sketches. So then, they really get to be part of the design exactly. process. Exactly. Yep. We come on the journey together. It's yep. a collaborative journey. As um, was alluded to earlier, for something to be exciting, you've got to be a part of it. It's like trying to watch the world's best sporting event two days after it happened. <laughs> and you already That's know the results. That's not exciting. Yeah. You know the result. <laughs> well, how boring. You want to watch it live. You want to be involved. Well, that's what we offer our clients. We want them to be involved. We don't believe we have every answer. We believe that with a relationship with the client, with open communication, we will arrive at the answers together. We value the client that much that we would feel we need them just as much as they need us. If we don't understand, for example, how a client lives, what sort of lifestyle they have, we won't understand how to create a home for them. Um, for example, I'm not sure if I'm going off track, do you have a signature style? Is there a style that you only do? What about if you've got a great client, they want to do a you great mean job. Like, like clients will ask you that, have you Correct. got a signature style? Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't good design just be the signature style? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to me, like, yeah. wouldn't the common design principles... It's not being about aesthetics, it actually being about... Exactly. Function, flexibility, function, yep. form. Flexibility, yep. the form and function, how they relate. Yes, then we can make that building look elegant. Rather than coming along and saying, well, I'm your designer, this is me, this is what you get. That's not exciting. So what we encourage people to do is come on the journey, we communicate via email. Why do we communicate via email? 
Well, it's an emotional journey. <laughs> Sometimes we forget what we request. Yeah. For example, how does a budget go up drastically? The building may not change, but the level of finish has. Um, all of a sudden, the project's over budget. Now, has the client ever been educated that that would happen? Yes. Do we... Res- well, they should have been, shouldn't they, if they're working yeah, with a we designer? Refer, yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. refer back to previous emails. Yeah. This will blow the budget, guys. Remember, we discussed this. Yeah. So it's a really good way to keep everyone honest. Yeah. Everyone's on track and everyone knows where they stand that way. Yeah. I think if you're listening to this conversation and listening to the real kind of uh, hotspots of information about how your work with your designer should be going, whoever you're working with, being it a draftsperson, a building designer or an architect, you can hear it's about a journey. It's mm. something that happens step by step. And at each step of the way, you should feel informed exactly. and guided and yep. involved. And 100%. so, you know, that, that whole thing of, yeah, I agree with you that that email correspondence is really useful as both as a client and as a as a designer to have that paper trail of the conversations. And it works just as well too when the, the client believes that they haven't asked for something out of scope because they provided a detailed brief at exactly. the beginning, yes. but the designer wants to charge extra fees for something. 100%. You know, There is a, a point of recourse for you as a client to say, hang on, this was supposed to be included. I briefed you about this at the very beginning. You've been ignoring it the whole way through and I'm now putting my foot down and saying it has to be included and you're wanting extra fees, You that's not what's okay. 100%, yeah. You know, Couldn't so it protects everybody, doesn't it? Because it just manages expectations. And, yeah. yeah. And it just keeps everything moving forward. And that's not to say that the world's best architects and the world's best designers, et cetera, et cetera, won't overlook things. Yeah. <laughs> they, they will overlook things. Yeah. They may get carried away, as we all do, and think, I believe in this design approach. And mm. the client says, you know what? I'd really like it to turn slightly to the left. Um, It's happened before, it'll happen again. But if everyone's got the sense of well-being in that design team, like it's not always going to be beer and Skittles. There are going to be times where you're frustrated, but that is sadly the process of this mega industry of Well, there's so many moving parts, isn't there? Like there's so many different things to bring together. And it is sometimes it requires some pretty honest and tough conversations. Yes, exactly. Can you... Um, this is going a little bit to the side, but I suppose this one be, of the, this will be good. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that I know a lot of women in particular get very nervous about is providing that feedback to designers. They they worry that the designer will take it personally, that they'll put the designer offside, that it'll mean that the designer doesn't necessarily want to do their project, won't do as good a job of it, that they'll fall out of love, you know, with each other, and it and it not all be like you say, beer and skittles. How, you know, I know that there are some designers who don't take feedback well. How do you see that role of of the client providing feedback, actually speaking up, speaking their mind about how they feel about a design and the designer's responsibility to respond to that and keep moving the project forward? What are your thoughts on that? Um, Well, to go back to your your first comment there about our clients who who are women in the industry or homeowners who are seeking a new home, we've actually noticed a trend that dealing with a lady of the home is actually a very effective way to understand how that whole family is working. Professional mums, stay-at-home mums, whoever whoever it is, I think the lady of the home, her input can never be underestimated. We actually have found that our best working relationships have often been through the design phase with the lady of the home because they're the ones who are often the ones available to communicate. And what I've noticed is there's a trend, and now this may be a very sweeping generalization, but I've noticed that most women will come and say, hey, how do I get the best result here? Sometimes us men will tell people what we want. Yeah. <laughs> and so we come along and say, well, this is what I've wanted. That may not be the best thing. Where my experience has been that sometimes the lady will turn around and say, or the woman involved will say, what should I do here? Now, asking a question gets so much better results yeah. than making a statement. Yeah, yeah. So we'd encourage, if I if I go back to my previous comment in our design workshops, we won't have that unless both parties are there. No matter who they are, they both have to be present. We can't be in a situation where one has made a decision for the other partner. Yeah, yeah. That, that doesn't work. So that's how we cope with that. Yeah. What we encourage in that is open communication. So we get to see both parties 
how they respond, you'll notice body language too. If one of the parties goes quiet (laughs) and they just sit there and they're going, "Mm, this isn't, you're going to get a phone call the next day. Yes. Okay. You're going to get a phone call. Oh, we had the discussion after you left and we have to do this. And you actually want them to feel like, I, you know, as a homeowner, you know, it, it's it's hard because you obviously sometimes don't want to appear to be arguing with your partner in front of the designer or airing your dirty laundry or anything like that. So you will go home and have a private, mm. sometimes difficult conversation about, you know, the differences of opinion. Chances are you are going to have differences of opinion with your partner as you're creating something as a, that you're as emotionally connected to yes. as your home. So, um, and as designers, I know personally, I've seen so many different interaction, interactions between <laughs> couples and yep. I've said before, they should have told us at uni that we were part marriage counsel or part. Oh, if we were <laughs> marriage counselors as well, we'd, we'd offer a great service. <laughs> but I think, um, you know, you want them to actually speak up in that 100%. meeting and part of our role and responsibility is provide an environment that feels comfortable and safe exactly. to do that, isn't it? And that's what a client should be looking for in their designer. How does he actually listen? Communication or is... All, exactly. <laughs> so, or she, sorry. So, we, so he and she, when we use the word communicate, it's often thought of us talking, right? Communication should also be us listening. Okay, so us as designers... Listen to our clients. That's our role. We are there to service their dream, not put another not ticket. Not our overlay of Exactly. Their dream. Not yeah. another ticket on our website that says, look what I did here and I've tagged in everyone's product so I can promote myself. <laughs> that's, that's rubbish. What we're after is servicing their dream, doing the best we can to get that to a reality. Listening to our clients is good communication you will pick up design cues. But if you're a client and your designer is not listening, we used to have a saying, didn't we, in the commercial world, if it didn't start off right, it would rarely end right. Yeah, yeah. So if they're not listening at word go, they won't be listening as it's been built. When you actually need them. And I think too, yeah, there's that fear of, of walking away when you've already spent money and invested time and that type of thing. But honestly the heartache that it can bring for that experience to feel horrible and and like a torturous kind of journey when you know you heard Sean speak about how enjoyable it should be I know that when we've worked with clients it doesn't mean that it's not stressful at times it's not Mm. tricky and difficult at times but you do as a working relationship know that when they get to the end that they will stand there and know that it was all worth it, you know? Exactly. And that's that's the kind of success that you want in working yeah. with clients, yeah. We're going to take some photos of, of the house soon and the client has invited us over for a beer and some nibbles. They want to catch up. Why? Because they enjoyed the level of service, the commitment we had to their dream. And if your clients are doing that at the end of major renovations to homes, you've done a good job. And yeah, they they also sent us a photograph on our phones, didn't they? Of they were had just moved in, literally had like this full on day of moving, but they took time to pop a bottle of champagne and send us a photograph of them toasting to the new house. Which, exactly. You know, as a, as a designer, you know, I've I, I've spoken a lot about the level of privilege that we have in in partnering with people as they go on this journey of creating their homes, be it as a home for investment or development or for their future, fa- you know, for their family home forever yeah it's 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 a it's a your designer should be somebody who behaves like the person who you are trusting with all of these things and that they respect and value that trust you know so yeah and as designers it's okay to put your hand up and say i'm not the best person for that project yeah well that's that's the thing you want that honesty wouldn't you some of the yeah well some of the best architects that i've ever studied or observed have often said, no, no, we're not the right fit. We we believe this person or these companies or individuals are a better fit. That's okay. Yeah. Focus on what we're good at. This has been fantastic. I, I just want to ask you, what are the mistakes that you say, you know, you've done a, a, you've had a lot of project experience along, you know, a huge variety of work and a lot of residential project experience. What do you say are kind of the key mistakes that people make when they're building or renovating their homes? The big one, Amelia, would be time. Now, when I mention time, we go through a design journey. We, we've designed the building. Everyone's getting excited. They want to start, and they want to start yesterday. Yep. And all of a sudden, it's rushed. 
why it's as if the world's going to come to an end and I have to rush and build it right now. The biggest mistake I would see is people rushing the design process and then not going through and accurately checking the builder's contract. For example, why are there provisional sums? What is the quality that I can expect to receive within that provisional sum? So there seems to be this magical point in the year where everyone says, okay, I've got to rush right now. When you rush, you make mistakes, you'll overlook something, and then all of a sudden it's built. Yeah. And it was so funny. I had a client who we've just started to design their home and their friends had said, you do not need a designer. You should just get a draftsperson. Don't waste the money. And the client was quite an educated client. They really had done some homework. And the comment they made was, our friends are renovating their home already. It's just been built. And I said, why are they doing that? It's just been built. And they said, oh, it wasn't right. Oh, okay. They didn't. So sorry, get... they've 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 built. They've got a finished finished new home, product, new home, and then they're having to renovate it as well. Correct. But these people were advising the clients of ours not to use a designer. Exactly. Right, okay. Don't use yeah. a designer. And fortunately, in this case, our client had just simply said, "Well, they didn't learn from their mistake." Yeah. Now, why did they do that? Well, nine times out of ten, it's because they've rushed. They've said, "Hey, I can get this done quick." The builder said. He can start in four weeks. Yeah, so there's this urgency to be All able to sudden, lock him in. Yeah. He will start in eight weeks. Yeah. And he's not the only builder. So my advice is don't rush it. Yeah. You won't get a better outcome if you rush the process. Yeah. And I think too, I you know, I see that happen as well, that people will be planning and researching their renovation or building project for sometimes years. Mm-hmm. And what that looks like is they're speaking to friends, they're maybe occasionally getting an architect or a designer over, they're looking at magazines, they're building their Pinterest board, they're Googling exactly. yep. and they're but it's all very amorphous, you know, kind of organic research and not really strategic. And then they say, Okay, all right, we're actually gonna do this and we're gonna do that this year and then it, it yeah, they just want it to hit the ground running. Yes. And the chances are that designers who do really good work will probably have a little bit of a lead time for you to be able to sleeve into their workflow. 100%, yep. Builders who do really good work will have a little bit of a lead time as well. And I, you know, I've said before, this process can sometimes take two, three years to happen from the point of view saying, yep, we are ready now. So yes, exactly. and it's, yeah, it's very difficult, I think, to be patient because you can already see the finished product in your head. Yeah, you just yeah. want to move in already. But yeah, it is, it's counterproductive to rush yeah. that process and expect and, a good outcome. And so. that happens to us as designers as yeah. well. If we're doing our own home, we we have that feeling of, I want this to go quicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not immune to it. It's the emotional connection to, I want this. And you can see it, you're living in it. Yeah, just be patient. around it inside your head. Yeah, just be patient, just relax. It will get there and it will be done right. Um, The only other comment I'd have to that is, is I'd encourage um, homeowners or future clients, be very realistic and honest about your budget. Yes. Budget is not a taboo. It's not a word you have to hide. Yes, be upfront with it. I've got a million dollars to spend or I've got 400,000 to spend. It doesn't matter. Be honest with your designer on what you want to spend. You will get a better outcome. Yeah. And tell Um, them what it has to include as well. It's not only construction costs, but it has to include all of the consultant fees and all of the application fees and everything like that. So yeah, landscaping pool, the the classic ones. um, Have you allowed for money to furnish your home as in curtains homewares. Yeah. And often the answer can be no, we've spent it all. Yeah, yeah. So you feel like you're 21 again living with a sheet across the window. So it's be real be realistic about your budget. Don't be afraid and make sure your designer writes your budget into the fee agreement. <laughs> <laughs> if the designer doesn't write the budget into the fee agreement, he has got he or she yes. <laughs> has got open slather to design yeah. what they want. Yeah, it's part it's a critical part of your mm, brief. 100%. Yeah, so it needs to be in writing, doesn't it? No, well, this has been fantastic. I'm going to ask you one last question. What do you love about being a building designer? That's an interesting question. Um, what do I love about a, being a building designer? I love being involved with people who are creating something for their needs. The The thrill you get or the enjoyment, set, sense of satisfaction you get when someone says, I hadn't thought about that 
that will work so well for how I do things. Yeah, I had no idea I needed it, but now I don't know how I've lived without it. Exactly. Or why did I put up with doing it that way? And you actually see how it makes a difference to people's lives. Buildings do make, architecture does make a social difference. It's a known fact. And when you're contributing to that, it gives people a real sense of satisfaction. Fortunately, yes, we've had great mentors. Yes. Um, You know, we've worked with you for years. We've worked with other great architects. And I like being involved in that. Um, I think that is something that gives good job satisfaction. I heard a comment once made, I forget who made it, that doctors can cover up their mistakes architects need landscaping. Yeah, Frank Lloyd Wright. Frank Lloyd Wright, Frank Lloyd Wright said architects can ho- only hope to grow vines. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> right. And so when you get to drive down the street and you say, yeah, I made a difference here, it's a really good feeling. We've got a, a client who we're developing a new home. It's a green site in a project build environment. To my knowledge at the moment, we're the only ones custom designing a home in that street. Wowzers. Everything else is a project build, bought off the plan. Hearing the client say, I'm so happy that no one will have my house mirror image with a different color scheme in the street gives me great satisfaction because we're making a point of difference. Yes. Good design doesn't have to cost more. As As we say to clients, it costs the same amount of money to put a wall in the right spot as it does the wrong spot. The difference is your designer. I just don't understand why we've had a revolution of off the plan, buy off the Yeah, the it's, it's hard plans, to know, isn't it? I, but, I just, yeah, I think that I'm really grateful that the UA community, they know that design makes the difference. Exactly. And for them, it's, um, you know, for you guys at home, it's really a case of, um, you know, just being able to access that information and, and know what you need to know in order to get great results. So, yeah. and yeah, I agree with you. It's... um. There's nothing like, I remember when I finished the Waterline project um, at Mervac, which is a big um, housing development that we did on the riverfront in Brisbane. And the first Christmas I went out there and saw people hanging Christmas lights on Mm. verandas that I had agonised for so long over the detailing of those verandas and saw people using certain components to fix Christmas lights too. And, you know, just seeing that, that home that we've been able to join with them in creating becomes the backdrop for so many family memories and exactly and um that experience yeah that's that's the fun that's yep. the joy um there are frustrations as we know <laughs> there are days where you go i'd rather be a tour guide in catherine gorge in arnhem land somewhere but there are there is immense job satisfaction when you are helping people achieve what they've worked so hard to do but it's also a very big responsibility yeah Yeah. Well, I think that's a fantastic note to finish on. Aaron, I can't thank you enough for your time. As I said in the intro, Aaron and I have worked together for a very long time and we still work together regularly now. And it really excites me to bring a building designer to you because I think that I know particularly in the architectural industry, there can be those inside the industry that only want to talk about other architects and other architects' work. I've worked with enough different types of roles across the industry to know that it comes down to the professional themselves, what they offer, how they work. Mm. And um, and I've always loved the way that you work in your building design. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Amelia. And um, just on that note, I think you're doing a great job. <laughs> Of keeping the industry honest to a point (laughs) because it's a great forum for homeowners. Thank you very Um, much. So thank you for having us. Oh, cheers. All right. See you later, Aaron. Now, I hope that you enjoyed learning more about the role of building designer. So whether you're planning to use a building designer, an architect or a draftsperson, it's super important that you do your homework to make sure that they're a great fit for you and that you check their licensing if that requirement applies in your state. And as I said in the interview, I'll find the links for the various building design associations around the country and pop them in the show notes for you so you can go and check that out. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Aaron and his business, Aaron Wells Building Design or AWBD, make sure you head to the show notes as well. And I'll have links to his website and social pages there so that you can check out his work and you can get in touch. In the next episode, I'm going to be talking to a town planner. So Nuala Dewhurst of Griffin Planning is a New South Wales based town planner and she'll be sharing her tips on when you might need a town planner and how to get the best from working with one. Join me then. Now, before I go, remember that our season four podcast partner is Colourbond Steel and their Matt Range. 
So the thing about Colourbond steel is that, it, look, it often gets confused with other materials that look similar to it. And yet they don't have that same history or that same integrity as the Colourbond steel product. It's so important if you're looking for and specifying Colourbond steel by Bluescope that you be sure that you're getting what you paid for. And I think the name gets used quite generically, uh, so don't get confused and think it just means painted metal. There's a huge amount of history, tech, innovation and quality that goes into Colourbond Steel to help you be sure that you're getting the performance that you're actually seeking. So Colourbond Steel roofing and walling is stamped with branding on the sheeting. So look for that branding stamp, okay? Make sure that you're getting the real thing. Look for that blue scope or that Colourbond stamp and be sure that you're getting what you're paying for, okay? And head to www.colourbond.com forward slash undercoverarchitect for more information on Colourbond Steel and its map range. And that's c-o-l-o-r-bond.com forward slash undercoverarchitect. Thank you for tuning in to the Get It Right podcast with Undercover Architect. Now, if you head to the Undercover Architect website, you'll see loads more helpful information on how to get it right when designing, building or renovating your home simply and with confidence. Not only can you see all the podcast episodes there, there's also a wealth of written blogs and of videos too covering all sorts of topics. And there's other ways as well that Undercover Architect can give you more support and guidance for your project. Now, if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please subscribe so that you always get notified of new episodes as soon as they go live. And I'd love it too if you could please leave a review. I <laughs> know that iTunes doesn't make it easy to leave a review, but when you do, this is super helpful in spreading the word that this podcast exists to others who really need to hear it to get help with planning their future homes. This has been Amelia Lee from Undercover Architect. Thank you for listening and for letting me be your secret ally. Looking forward to next time.